Hello everybody and welcome to my video devoted to the best and worst of 2021. This is my list of my 10 favorite slash best movies of 2021 and my five least favorite slash worst movies of 2021. It was very difficult to pare down, especially the best ones. I think it's been a really, really strong year, probably because there were a lot of movies that were carried over from 2020 to 2021 but there were when we get to the list so many that could have either switched switch spots or have been on the list that aren't on the list we'll talk about those but before we get to that there are a few other awards i guess this is sort of like the dan award show for the end of 2021 that i wanted to give out that recognize some movies and people that may not be in my best of list but i thought deserved a little bit of attention the first one is my award for most improved accent and that goes to benedict Cumberbatch in The Power of the Dog. It's a piece of ass you're after, fat so I'm damn sure you can get it without a license. Let's be honest here, he has unleashed some pretty atrocious accents on us in the past. Good to see you doing so well. Really it is. Give my regards to the boys at the plaza. And if I'm wrong, when it comes to my reckoning, I'm the one that'll have to answer for it. Power didn't go out. I, I, I forgot to set the clock. I, I'm sorry, Ma. However, his accent work in The Power of the Dog was top-notch. She was drunk! Pie-eyed! She was smashed! Benedict Cumberbatch's ability to master accents is second only to his ability to master the word penguin. So why are these woodlands so attractive to penguins? Next up is a category I call movie that sounds like a parody but isn't. It's a contender for best international film at the Oscars and I think a lot of other awards and it's called Drive My Car and this is the part that sounds like a parody. It is a three-hour Japanese drama about a man grieving his dead wife while staging a multilingual stage production of Uncle Vanya. And yes, this does sound like the parody of what someone would write that a critic loves but this is actually a really 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 good movie it is three hours but it, it should be three hours it's a very intimate story about all of these different people and the way that their lives collide and intersect with each other but if you were to read that description it really does seem like something that somebody would get a boner at at Sundance that you would never hear about again I would say that if you can watch drive my car it's worth the time but don't be put off by the description because it does sound incredibly hoity-toity and pretentious Next up is an award called Biggest Surprise. It's the movie that surprised me the most, and that goes to Zack Snyder's Justice League. I did a couple different reviews for it, so I've already given you my thoughts on the movie, but this shocked the hell out of me. It's worth it alone for the sequence where Flash uses the speed force to go back in time with the Junkie XL score. It is one of my favorite superhero moments in any film ever. Zack Snyder's Justice League was a film that I really, really liked, and it was the surprise of the year for me. I don't care how many deals he's fought in how many hells he's never fought us not us united next up is an award i call most valuable performance and it goes to bradley cooper and licorice pizza yes i have seen licorice pizza no i am not going to review it because i don't feel like being called a dumb dumb on the bird app it's not a movie that i disliked it's just not amongst my favorite of the year for a lot of different reasons but the one thing that i really loved in the movie was every single second that bradley cooper was on screen do you know who i am yeah do you know uh, who my girlfriend is? Barbara Streisand? Barbara Streisand. Sand. Sand, yeah, like sands. Like the ocean, like beaches. Barbara Streisand. 
No, but Stray Sand. I wish that they had made the movie about Bradley Cooper's character, who, by the way, is based on the real producer, John Peters, who was dating Barbara Streisand at the time. I ate up every single minute that he was on screen. I think he might be in the movie for five minutes, but if he got a Best Supporting Actor nomination at the Academy Awards, I wouldn't be that mad at it. Stray Sand. Stray Sand. Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand. Another performance award is called Best Performance in a Movie That You Didn't See, and it goes to Rebecca Hall in a movie called The Night House. It was sort of released with not a whole lot of fanfare this summer, didn't really do a whole lot at the box office, and passed by unnoticed for a lot of folks. It is a really, really creepy horror film, and Rebecca Hall crushes it in this movie. Go in. I can't hear you. Much like with Toni Collette, if we lived in a fair world, she would be in the mix with all of the other actors for this Best Actress nomination at the end of the year. She's not because it's a horror movie and it didn't do that well and people overlook it and don't even really consider it. But if you're looking for a great lead performance in a pretty solid, creepy horror film, the Night House is the movie for you. On the flip side is a category I call Worst Performance, and this is very subjective because this is an awards-nominated performance, but if you saw my review of House of Gucci, then you know that Jared Leto easily wins this for me. I hated every second that he was on screen as Paolo Gucci in House of Gucci. He almost torpedoed the entire movie for me. Stop, you're going to make me. You're going to make me cry. Nobody has ever said that to me. Nobody. I know that there are a lot of people that love this performance and think it is the comedic standout of the film. I do not love it at all. As a matter of fact, I think it is the worst performance of the year, and yet it could very well lead him to yet another Academy Award nomination. Go figure. The next award is for Best Decades Later Sequel. We have so many franchises now that were big in the 80s and 90s and were dormant for 10 or 15 or 20 years and come back with a new sequel to try and reinvent the franchise, reinvigorate it, and sometimes reboot it. Sometimes this works, sometimes this doesn't work. The movie that worked the best for me this year was Nia DaCosta's Candyman. I really, really, really liked this movie. I think it dug into the core of what this franchise has always been about. This was going into the exact same roots of the story that the original Candyman film particularly was. Not in my top movies of the year, but one that I really enjoyed. Candyman. No! Candyman! No! On the other end, there's Worst Decades Later sequel, and it's yet another polarizing film, but The Matrix Resurrections was, as I like to say, not for me. I know that there are all kinds of theories going around that this was uh, a complicated plot from Lana Wachowski because they forced her into directing it and make it into this like meta commentary on reboots and kind of an F you to Warner Brothers that was bad and shallow on purpose. I'm sure you can understand why our beloved parent company Warner Brothers has decided to make a sequel to the trilogy. One. They inform me they're going to do it with or without us. I just don't particularly happen to agree with those arguments. This was a mishmash of a movie for me. And given what it was following, the layoff, and the hope that it would sort of undo or at least rectify what a lot of people saw as a disappointing finale to this franchise back in 2003, The Matrix Resurrections was a big letdown for me. The construct in between everything and nothing. Welcome to the crib. 
Next up is the best movie that you didn't watch, and that is a movie called Cop Shop. And I'll admit right out of the gate that Cop Shop is one of the worst titles for a movie that I have ever heard. It tells you nothing about the film. There's nothing appealing about it. I didn't even know what it was about. And yet, when I went to see the movie, based largely on word of mouth from the few people that did see it, I really like this movie, especially if you're a fan of a movie like John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct 13. It's the same kind of film. And also, I think because Gerard Butler is the top-lining star, it gets this reputation as a Gerard Butler film, but it's much more of an ensemble piece. Frank Grillo is great in this movie. Alexis Lauder, who's a name you might not know, plays a great actor action heroine in this film. And then Toby Huss, who has been in movies like 2018's Halloween and several others, legitimately gives what I think is one of the best performances of the year as a true psychopath. Look at you in there. One of male grooming's greatest misfires. The man bun. You look like old Tom Cruise in that samurai picture that nobody watched. Cop Shop came and went from theaters pretty quick, but you can rent it now on demand and in different places, Apple, Redbox, etc. Give it a try. Give it a go. I think you're going to have an enjoyable night in with this film. Up next is an award that I like to give out called the 2021 MVP. And right up until the end of the year, this was pretty easily Adam Driver for me because he's been in several movies, one of which you'll hear me talk about later on. However, swooping in at the last minute and really clinching it with, spoiler alert, Spider-Man No Way Home is Andrew Garfield, who turned in a few fantastic performances this year. He was in a movie called The Eyes of Tammy Faye. He was also in Tick, Tick, Boom. And then really coming into Spider-Man No Way Home and to me was the standout of that film. It was great to see Tobey Maguire too, but Andrew Garfield coming in and sort of co-headlining the biggest movie of the year on top of everything that he already did this year, including perhaps an Oscar-nominated or Oscar-winning performance in Tick, Tick, Boom, really entrenched him for me as the 2021 MVP. I think that he should get all the awards for his year just in total, and that's not even counting the fact that he had to keep denying in every interview that he was going to be in Spider-Man. I did not get a call. And finally, before we get into the best and the worst of the year, I want to give a special mention to a project that was sort of caught in the middle. There was a judgment made that it was eligible for the Emmy Awards, and because of new Oscar rules, it is thus ineligible for the Academy Awards, but I think it was sort of seen as something that was neither. However, it was one of my favorite things to come out of 2021, and that is Bo Burnham Inside, a incredible comedy special if you want to call it that it's almost a comedy movie a drama a horror film you name it it was filmed during the pandemic in 2020 and it has some of the most brilliant musical comedy that i've seen but it also is just full of raw honesty and humanity i think i think i'm i'm done At the same time, you have brilliant things like Welcome to the Internet, which I think is one of the most concise sociological dissections that I've seen in a really long time. Could I interest you in everything all of the time? A little bit of everything all of the time. If it was eligible as a film, it would be probably in my top five of the year. But as it is, I'm going to give Bo Burnham Inside a special award, a special recognition award, because I think it is one of the best things of the year. Movie, TV, whatever you want to call it. If you haven't seen it, seek it out now. It's really great. Can one be funny when stuck in a room? Big breath. 
Without further ado, let's move to the best and worst of the year and let's get the bad stuff out of the way and start with the worst movies of 2021 or at least the ones that I enjoyed the least. I didn't seek out a whole lot of bad movies. We're a long way away from the glory days of MoviePass when I would go see five, six, seven movies a week up until the top, top of this list. These are really just movies that I just was not impressed by that let me down. Number five is Spiral from the Book of Saw, which really was wanted to be kind of a gritty reboot, although Saw was already pretty damn gritty, but really just didn't work for me at all, mostly because I thought that Chris Rock, who was a driving creative force behind this project, was not cast very well in the lead. I don't think he should have been the lead of this film, and I know that that was part of what drew him to the movie. I didn't really come out of Spiral with anything new or anything fresh. It just seemed like another retread. So that's number five. Number four on my list is Space Jam, A New Legacy, coming from Warner Brothers. The Matrix Resurrections didn't make my worst of list, but it could almost be paired with this film because they share a lot of DNA. It was mostly just an advertisement for Warner Brothers and their various IP and properties, etc. You have a character that's an algorithm named Al G Rhythm. I am King Al G Rhythm. This is the Warner Brothers serververse. It was one of the few that I'm actually glad I did not take the time to go see in theaters and watch at home because I just think that I could have done something better with my life. At number three is a horror film in a very up and down franchise. And even though I wasn't a huge fan of its predecessor, this was still a huge step down. And that is Halloween Kills, which I found to be just absolutely ludicrously dumb, repetitive, and ultimately kind of pointless. It sidelined the character that they were championing bringing back in Laurie Strode. The citizens of Haddonfield were just immeasurably dumb, laughably dumb, and it's not a satire, or at least I don't think it's supposed to be. Any goodwill they gained from 2018's Halloween for me is completely undone by this movie. I'm just sort of hoping this was the awkward middle chapter in a trilogy that should have just been two movies because Halloween Ends comes out next year. Sometimes I like a bad schlocky horror movie, but this movie doesn't even work on that level for me. It's just unpleasant. Michael Myers will be executed tonight and it will not go without witness. Evil dies tonight. At number two is a movie that I think featured the biggest sociopath character of the year, and that is the musical adaptation of Dear Evan Hansen, which makes a wrong step at just about every possible juncture, from the casting of Ben Platt, who is about 15 years too old to play the title role, to the direction, to apparently what they cut out of the musical, which I have not seen. I did not buy anything in this movie for one second. I wanted everyone in the world to run as far away from Evan Hansen as they possibly could. And yet it is twice as good as the movie that's at my number one. And this is really the only movie that I truly, truly, truly hated this year that I thought was an absolute disaster. And for a second consecutive year, it's a movie that premiered on Disney+. Plus. If I'd done one of these worst of lists last year, my worst of 2020 would have been Artemis Fowl, which was going to be made for theaters, which I thought was a laughable disappointment. This year, it's a movie that was made directly for Disney+, Plus. that again, I saw based on word of mouth, but word of mouth because of how terrible it was. And that is Home Sweet Home Alone, the wannabe revival of the Home Alone franchise. It's Stars Archie Yates, who was so great in Jojo Rabbit just a few years ago, and now he's stuck in this terrible movie. He's fighting Rob Delaney and Ellie Kemper, whose crime is being a couple who are on the cusp of losing their house. I always thought we'd get 
old and weird in this house, but we've done the math. We can't afford it on my salary alone. Because he's lost his job and are trying to get back a doll that they believe that Archie Yates' character stole. They're basically breaking into the house in order to keep themselves out of poverty, which is exactly the kind of motivation that you want for your villains. For the majority of this film, I felt like it was doing to me what Rob Delaney does to Ellie Kemper in this scene. One. It is a heinous movie. I would watch Home Alone 3 500 times before I'd watch Home Sweet Home Alone again, and it is my pick for the worst of 2021. Now that we've got that out of our system, let's get to the best movies of 2021, the ones that I loved. As I said, it was an embarrassment of riches. There were a few runners-up who, who really could be on this list. I could shuffle these three movies onto the list very easily. It's just that I love the 10 that actually made the list that much more. One of them is Coda, which is on Apple TV+. A beautiful story about the only hearing child in a deaf family. It is full of great performances from Amelia Jones and Marley Matlin and Troy Kotzer. It's also just a very sweet film. It's the kind of innocent film that I think would have done well at the box office if it hadn't been snapped up by streaming. Another one, this is a year of musicals and you're going to see at least two or three of them on my actual top 10 list, but one that got bumped out was a movie that didn't do well at all at the box office this summer, which is In the Heights. I love this movie. I think it's vibrant and fun. I love the story of the family and the story of America as told through the residents of Washington Heights. I thought this was a beautifully made film from John M. Chu and it easily could have been on my top 10 and was for much of the year and then finally king richard also just missed my top 10 list i think that will smith should be in serious contention for the best actor academy award anjanu ellis has also emerged as a front runner for best supporting actress it's the story of richard williams and his daughters venus and serena and what they overcame in order to be the superstars that they are today it's a great story about sports it's a great story about family and it features a lot of wonderful performances just outside my top 10. So let's get into my top 10, and the number 10 film is one that just opened in limited release. It is hitting Apple TV Plus in early 2022, and that is Joel Cohen's The Tragedy of Macbeth. I will admit it that I do enjoy Shakespeare, but I do think that in the wrong hands, it can get a little dry, a little rote. It is not in the hands of Joel Cohen. Of course, you have Francis McDormand and Denzel Washington in the lead roles, which certainly does not hurt. And I love the ingenuity behind so much of the design of this movie, in addition to the great performances. It is a bare-bones, stripped-down version of one of Shakespeare's greatest plays, and yet it feels new and vibrant. And I hope that we see this cast, particularly Denzel Washington, in the awards conversation, despite the fact that this movie came out later in the awards season. My number nine film stars the man that I named the 2021 Most Valuable Player, and that is Tick, Tick, Boom, starring Andrew Garfield as songwriter and playwright Jonathan Larson. It is the directorial debut of Lin-Manuel Miranda, and it really brings all of the skills that Miranda has learned from stage to the screen. I love how this movie is intercut with performance. So you're seeing the plot of the film. You're jumping to after the plot where he's performing the musical that's been inspired by the plot. There are also parts that go into full-blown stage fantasy. And Andrew Garfield, my God, this guy can act. He can sing. He can dance. He does everything that this part requires. And even though I admire a lot of other performances this year, I think that Andrew Garfield should win the Academy Award for Best Actor. He's that good good in this movie. If you don't have a problem with my problem, maybe the problem's simply codependency. Everyone's unhappy in New York. That's what New York is. 
At number eight is a movie from director Kenneth Branagh, semi-autobiographical film, and that is Belfast, about a young family in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. It is full of wonderful performances, many of which are in the discussion for the Academy Awards, but it also is a heartbreaking story of families that were really torn apart by the religious strife in Northern Ireland in the 1960s and in the decades after. But it chooses to tell this very big story through a very small lens as we see the impact on this young boy and his family. But we also see the growing pains of being a child when all of this stuff is just background noise. And the most important thing is how to figure out how to get a seat next to the girl that you like in school. You could do the project together, you and the young lady. You get the same marks and maybe end up on the same seat together. But how do you even talk to you? Belfast is a really sweet story of this family, incredibly well shot and well told, and I think it's also going to be one that you see a lot at the Academy Awards next year. At number seven is a movie that sounded like a parody the first time I heard about it, and that is Pig, starring Nicolas Cage. I heard the log line for this film, which is, did you hear that Nicolas Cage is going to play a guy who has a truffle-hunting pig and lives in the woods? And it sounded like it might just be another one of those pieces of, let's be honest, largely schlock that Nicolas Cage has done in the last several years. It is one of the best performances of his career. It is quiet, it is reserved, and yet his character possesses so much knowledge and so much skill that he he employs when he needs to, whether that is brute force or whether that is the ability to dissect a former student of his on the spot in his restaurant. They're not real. You get that, right? None of it is real. The critics aren't real. The customers aren't real. Because this isn't real. Pig also features great supporting performances from Alex Wolf and Adam Arkin. And even though it is a very small movie and a movie that came out earlier this year, as far as the awards conversation goes, it's also one that has stuck with me and one that I can't wait to revisit. Well, from a very small movie, we go to a very big movie. As a matter of fact, the biggest movie of the year at number six is Spider-Man No Way Home. And if you'd have told me a month ago that I was going to be putting Spider-Man No Way Home in my top 10 list, I would have been highly doubtful because while I've liked Marvel's output post Endgame, I haven't really been in love with any of it. And yet... I loved this movie. It took a big swing, and I think it hit a home run. The performances are great. As a Spider-Man fan, I love the mythology of this story and the way that it retold sections that we didn't even know we were being retold. It brought in familiar faces from the past, but not just in a cheap way. It did it in a meaningful way that added and enhanced the story, not just of Spider-Man as a figure, but of Tom Holland's Spider-Man specifically. It didn't lose track of the character. And I know that a lot of critics disqualify movies like Spider-Man No Way home from being in the top 10 but this is a movie that made me laugh that made me well up from time to time that got me excited if you look at my spoiler review i was yammering on for almost an hour about how much i love this movie i don't put a budget limit on the movies that i pick for my top 10 and i don't put a time limit or a genre limit and spider-man no way home was one of the most effective movies of the year for me ending up just outside my top five at number six my number five film is another surprise, surprise, divisive film. It premiered recently on Netflix, and that is Adam McKay's satire, Don't Look Up. It is an all-star roster of people. I think that they all really connect with their roles. I understand why some people didn't like this film. For a lot of people, they just didn't want to look in that funhouse mirror that's being shown back at them. I think a lot of critics didn't like kind of being tweaked as far as what the movie has to say about the media. I think this is a movie that makes fun of all people equally. Yes, it is a warning sign for us, but it's also a warning sign that makes us laugh. We have an inconvenient truth for 
for the harsh truths about climate change, etc. We can also have movies like Don't Look Up that tell those same truths, but through comedy. I really, really, really liked this film. I was very happy that I was able to see it. It was the comedy that made me laugh more than any other one this year. Dr. Mindy, on the other hand, had some very high favorables. Uh, Vegan Babe wrote, Meow, me likey, hunky star man. At number four is the second musical on this list. It did not do well at the box office, and that is Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, a movie that I was incredibly skeptical about. There is a way that you could have done this where you just kind of sleepwalk through the scenes, restage what was done in the original film, uh, and, and put your name on it and pump it out there. Instead, I think that Steven Spielberg breathed new life into this musical. It is beautifully shot by Janusz Kaminski. It's exquisitely edited. They shifted some things around as far as the order of the show. I thought that the casting, particularly with Rachel Zegler and Ariana DeBose, was great. You discovered a lot of new stars with this film that I think we're going to see in a lot of other movies. West Side Story took an idea that I did not think would work and made it succeed beyond my wildest expectations. It was one of the most thrilling theater experiences I had all year, and it was good enough for number four on my list. At number three is the newest film from one of my favorite filmmakers, Guillermo del Toro, and that is Nightmare Alley. This movie snuck up on me because I saw it and I liked it, and then I realized that I kept thinking about it. It's one of the few movies this year that I went back and watched again because I wanted to experience it knowing where we would end up and see if that journey holds up from the beginning, and it turns out that it did. I know you're no good. And I know that because neither am I. Bradley Cooper, he was my most valuable performance in Licorice Pizza. He is also great in this movie. I don't know if he's going to be in a whole lot of awards conversations, but the ending of this movie doesn't work unless Bradley Cooper makes it work. And it is perhaps the most well-acted scene that I've seen this year. He is an underrated actor. He really should get more credit for what he does. And he and Kate Blanchett and the ensemble cast of this film, including Willem Dafoe, who was always great in many different movies, deserve a lot of credit. Nightmare Alley, number three on my list. At number two is a world that was alien to me. Denis Villeneuve's Dune almost took the number one spot. I love sci-fi, but sci-fi fantasy is a bit of a mixed bag for me, and I didn't really know where I was going to fall on Dune. I'd never read the book. I'd never seen David Lynch's original. So I came into this completely cold, and I was absolutely enthralled by the filmmaking in this film. Not just the storytelling, but also the cinematography, the special effects, the music from Hans Zimmer, the scale that Denis Villeneuve does, and he does scale so well in all of his films. Dune, I think, is what you're talking about when you talk about big screen filmmaking when you talk about filmmaking that is ambitious it's the kind of movie that i honestly wish and i'm gonna risk offending some people here that christopher nolan would deliver again because i saw the passion that denis villeneuve had not just for what he wanted to bring to the film but also for bringing the story to life i don't think that you can be up to date with what's going on in the world of cinema right now if you're not paying attention to what denis villeneuve is doing and dune is an essential film for this year. So that brings us to number one, and whatever movie you're probably guessing it might be, it's probably not going to be, because there are a lot of people who have seen this movie and either hated it or didn't really get it, and I completely understand. It's a movie called Annette, 
and it has original music by Sparks, the band that is the subject of Edgar Wright's documentary called The Sparks Brothers. It stars Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard as a couple who have a baby that is a puppet. That's both a metaphor and an actual literal fact. It is a non-traditional musical. Astounding, unbelievable, amazing. It dips into surrealism at times. It's the kind of movie that I often don't respond to and don't like and that I would be on the other side of the fence of saying, what is it about this movie? I don't get it. What do you love about this movie? The answer to what do I love about Annette is everything. I love the performances. I love the production design. I love the absurdism. I love the surrealism. I love the actual moments of drama. There are so many scenes in this film that just kind of got burned into my brain. Images and the way that they're staged. Having said that, and I've acknowledged this from the very beginning, Annette is the kind of movie that is going to be very, very much your thing or very much not your thing. And I think that for probably 80 to 85% of the people out there, Annette is the movie that is not going to be your thing because it is very odd and very unapologetic about what it is. It makes no compromises to be in any way mainstream or accessible. It's like they made the movie knowing what it was and just threw it out into the ether and said, it's going to find its people. I really didn't know if I would have Annette here at number one. I thought it might be another movie, but as I looked at all of these films, it was the only one in my brain that I said, this has got to be the one. Maybe if you're one of those people that is on the same frequency of the, as this movie, then you'll love it as much as I did. And maybe I could help you discover one of your favorite movies of the year because Annette is my favorite movie of 2021. So that wraps up my best and worst of the year. What were some movies and performances and anything else that you loved this year? What were some things that you didn't love? Let me know down in the comments below. And as always, if you like what you see here on YouTube, you can get it all as a podcast down in the description below. You can find the links to the Dan Merle Podcast Network so that you can listen to everything that I do. I also do some audio exclusive reviews. And if you want to see even more of what I'm up to, you can check me out on Patreon at patreon.com slash Dan Merle. We have almost wrapped out the year. I've got one more video to come in 2021, and then we're going to jump right into 2022 with new charts, new reviews. I know there's stuff that I said I was going to do at the end of this year, like Arcane, which I did finish and I'm going to review very soon. So I still have 2021 to catch up and throw into 2022. But I can't wait to jump into yet another year here on the channel. More movies are coming out. Let's hope that that keeps up. Uh, it's been a really great year of growth and momentum and a lot of people that have found me just in these last few weeks and couple months. And I welcome all of you to the channel. Thanks so much for watching. Stay safe. Have a happy new year and I'll see you soon. Bye.